Welcome back to the Sports Media Watch podcast. This is John Lewis, joined as always by Drew Lerner. Don't forget to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Let's just uh, let's just come right out and say it. There's not a lot going on in the industry this week. Pretty light week. Uh, been a very busy month in the industry, obviously, as it is every year. The Super Bowl followed by, depending on what your interest is, the Daytona 500 or the NBA All-Star Weekend. It's a very packed uh, little middle of the month. By the time you get to the end of February, all you've got is regular season games, maybe the NFL Combine. It's a pretty slow period. So what we'll do with this episode, we'll keep it relatively quick, is talk about what's coming. And that would be starting next month, the NBA's exclusive negotiating window with ESPN and TNT as it prepares to uh, pursue a new media rights agreement. So where does the NBA stand? I'm thinking I might try to write an article about this uh, as well if I have the time. But where does the NBA stand right now heading into this next set of media rights uh, negotiations? Well, the ratings are fine. Viewership first half of the season, even with last year, 1.61 million. Now, that's not to say the league is thriving NFL style, because it's not. But, you know, with the NBA... The NBA is one of those leagues. Let's just put all our cards out on the table here. Because because of the activism that NBA players engaged in after George Floyd and even before in terms of opposing Donald Trump, the NBA will always be a league where discussions of its popularity will not be discussions of popularity. They will be discussions about what people think about broader political stances. It is what it is. The reality is that you can make a basketball-related argument for why the NBA is where it is right now. Where is the NBA right now? I would say pretty stable. Nothing jumps out at me as a big concern, but not where it was five or six years ago. And certainly, probably, if I were to pinpoint a historical parallel for where the NBA is right now, I'd say mid-2000s, right? That was when you had this, the Spurs were winning a bunch of titles. The ratings were not great. People were very excited about the ratings not being great, as they often are when it comes to the NBA. But it wasn't a disaster or anything, and it was something the league was able to get out of. But ultimately, it's not, you know, this is not a golden age. People were talking about the NBA being in a golden age a few years ago. The NBA is not in a golden age right now. Uh, it's not dying. Uh, as uh, some of its more ardent detractors might like, but it's not a golden age. You know, it's kind of, I wouldn't necessarily call it a rut because I, I, I think that's overstating it, but that's kind of more like the NBA, I wouldn't call it a plateau either because a plateau implies that you reached a high point and now you're just plateauing. It's more like just the NBA is there. The numbers are what they are. Uh, you're not going to, outside of football, find a league that gets you better numbers on a consistent basis in the NBA. But, you know, it's it's not exactly at the highest it's ever been. Let's put it that way. I think the NBA, as you said, is definitely in a lull. I, I want to get at your point about the NBA's activism, you know, possibly at least hurting the narrative of the league. Because the way I see it, the NBA hasn't done 
any more or less activism than any other league. But it seems to be brought up more because the NBA's viewership has been in this lull. Is there any credence to the argument that the activism that has, for some reason or another, been played up with NBA players more so than what you've seen in other professional sports leagues, despite the fact that there's activism going on across the board? Do you think that narrative has actually played a part in this viewership lull? No, not really. Uh, I think ultimately the viewership declined for pretty much everything during COVID and only the NFL has come back. Everybody else is still in a more depressed viewership area than they were before COVID. You know, 2020 is a very interesting year to look back uh, at because uh, I think a lot of people read the uh, drew the wrong conclusions from a very bizarre set of circumstances. There was never some big market for, you know, political activism. There never has been and never, never, there never will be. If political activism is good for your business, then, it, then what exactly are you advocating for, right? Uh, it's not supposed to be good for your business. And I think there were a lot of people who, you know, maybe overread, you know, into a set of circumstances that could only have existed because of COVID and the disillusion of the typical that was associated with that. Um, it's interesting because I absolutely buy the argument that the NBA took things further than I think they would have taken them had everyone been more clear-headed in 2020. I think I think even LeBron, I don't know if he would admit that, but just from his actions, you know, probably would, with a clearer mind of 2024, look back and say, hmm, to some of the things that he said and did. But I also think that the lingering rage that some people have and the desire to see the NBA punished, you know, I mean, I think that's pretty ridiculous and not very clear-headed either. It's been four years. Get over it. If you wanted to say the NBA took things too far, I do actually think that's probably true. And I'm only slow walking that statement because I don't know how socially acceptable it is to just come out and flat out say, yeah, of course, everybody took things way too far in 2020. That was all over the top. Um, but I also think that people still being really mad about it. I mean, that's just the same typical, honest to God, racialized hatred of the NBA and its players that we've been seeing since all the way back into the seventies, all the way through to our test and everything. So I, I see both sides of it because I, I don't think a lot of that 2020 stuff ages too well, but mm -hmm. I also think it's really weird that there are people who are insisting on permanent effects while no other league would be subject to that kind of thing. The, the interesting part about all this is in context, especially these last two, three years, the NBA has done a lot of things to try and drum up viewership, right? Uh, which maybe 10 years ago, we would have seen some of these moves as radical, right? An in-season tournament a play-in tournament, the freedom of movement that has caused scoring to balloon up to where teams are scoring 140 points regularly, it seems like. Um, 
all these things are done in hopes that it keeps viewership at a level that is sustainable. In that context, you know, given that the NBA has had to do all of these things that we might have seen as radical 10 years ago, just to maintain a level of viewership that is on par with what they saw, you compared it to the mid 2000s, I would say, if we take out that, you know, Golden State Warriors, Splash Brothers era, where they were winning championships every year, if you take that part out, I would say where we're at now is pretty on par with the rest of the 2000s. Well, you, I, I, you know, with all due respect to Steph Curry, I'm, I'm not going to credit the Warriors for that. The NBA, that was all LeBron's prime, right? That was the LeBron era as much as it was the Jordan era in the 90s. Uh, LeBron's prime begins in 2009, which is his first MVP season. It ends the very moment he signs with the Los Angeles Lakers. And in that nine-year period of time, he makes the finals eight straight years with Cleveland and Miami, becomes the big villain of the, of the NBA going to Miami. And the ratings for that period of time are an exception to what has been the rule since Michael Jordan retired. That's really what we're talking about. The, the LeBron prime exception. That the NBA is ultimately where it was in 2007 and 2002. And I, I, I do believe that that's true. And that LeBron going to L.A. was the end of his prime. And it was the end of his prime as a, as a, not just as a player, maybe not even as a player. He won a title in L.A. He had MVP quality seasons. But the storyline for LeBron was LeBron in Cleveland, his home, LeBron in Miami to prove he could win. You know what? LeBron in L.A., I still don't know why LeBron's in L.A. It still doesn't fit. I, I think a lot of Laker fans will never accept him. I think the Laker organization has been very fortunate to have him because they haven't done anything since the death of Gary Buss. And I mean, we're, we're going back a long ways to the last time the Lakers were, you know, run in a way that would make you expect titles. So that I would say it's the LeBron era. Correct. Correct. And I shouldn't have been so short-sighted as to just single out those uh, Golden State Warriors years. But the point I'm getting at is, the NBA has had to do a lot to maintain a certain level of viewership that used to come standard, even, you know, in the Spurs years where, as you've said many times on this podcast, no one likes to watch the Spurs with Tim Duncan and Tony Parker, um, unless you're, you know, someone who appreciates good basketball, like, uh, like me and you, John. But in any case, is it concerning that the NBA has had to pull so many rabbits out of their hat just to get to the numbers they're at today? No, everyone's doing it. The only league that is not in this boat is the NFL. Everybody else is having to do exactly as you have said, things that would have been considered very bold a decade ago, just to maintain the level of viewership that they currently have. Whether you're talking about NASCAR at, in Chicago, all of these baseball games at all these venues, London and Field of Dreams, Rickwood Park, unless you're the NFL, you're not going to be able to just swim against the tide. And the tide is people are watching less television and not in enough numbers to completely overhaul the, the industry and the currency that it uses, but enough where you're not going to be able to get the kind of numbers that you used to get. And if you look at the NBA, you know, one of the ironies, the NBA has not really had a lot of good rating stories the last five years, but last year's playoffs was an enormous success by any standard, except the finals didn't do well. 
So some particularly dishonest folks, you can guess who they are, ran with that. And that's the impression a lot of people got. But last year's playoffs was like the, the greatest gift the NBA has gotten from a ratings perspective in a long time. It did great. Out of home played some of a role, obviously, but even without out of home, just far better than the previous years. And that's going to be almost impossible to replicate because last year you had the Warriors and Lakers and the Knicks and, you know, the Celtics. I mean, maybe you might get Knicks Celtics in the second round or something, but Warriors Lakers, they're both having better seasons record wise than this same time last year, but they're nine and 10, as you said, the Lakers, you know, I don't think you're going to get another LeBron versus Steph playoff series. Let's put it that way. Uh, and uh, the team set up at the top, Oklahoma City has a lot of potential to be a draw. I actually do think that. But people actually have to see Ted Holmgren first. It's not going to be in this postseason where that happens. But. And, and you know, the difficult thing about prognosticating playoff viewership, especially in the NBA, is that a lot of times, unless you get an anomaly where you're getting LeBron versus Steph in the second round like last year, it's just a function of how deep the finals go, right? How many yeah. games is it? And, and to a lesser extent, how many games do you get out of the conference finals? Because those are the main draws here. Uh, much fewer people are at, tuning in for the first and second round games. So even if it were on paper, a matchup that wasn't um, amazing, let's say you, you get Oklahoma City, a tiny market versus, uh, I don't know, you know, the Bucks again, right? Or Cleveland. If that's your matchup, I mean, on paper, you're, you're not very excited. But if it goes seven games, that makes up for a lot of the ills that, um, you know, the smaller market team uh, would give you. Yeah. I mean, the reality is that the standards are lower now than they've ever been for success. Uh, and so as much as there are people who will trumpet every single low year the NBA has, um, I mean, the NBA could average nine million and. I mean, for the finals, and I don't think it'd be a problem at this point. When it comes down to it, it last year's postseason, and again, I want to reiterate just how crazy it is that people walked away from last year's playoffs concerned about the NBA because last year's playoffs was as good as it's going to get for a long time as far as viewership goes. The finals didn't do well, but everything until the finals was the NBA hitting on black every single time. Right. And people still walked away going the NBA did badly because the finals averaged two million more viewers than the World Series did later in the year. I mean, that was a masterpiece of uh, negative PR there. Um, but, you know, that's what it is. This year's postseason, that bar is going to be very difficult to reach. Yeah. Last year, a five year high for the NBA playoffs uh, averaged around 5.1 million per game across all four networks. So that is certainly going to be a tough bar to reach this season uh, when you factor in all the good luck they had in the opening rounds of last season's playoffs. Um, John, let's move on to the news that will probably take over a lot of the sports media news cycle in the next month and months following. And that is the NBA's exclusive negotiating window opening up with its current media partners at Turner and ESPN. What are we expecting, John, out of this exclusive negotiating period uh, with its current media partners 
is that is this a time where we're going to see a deal get done with those two and then we'll get outside partners in later of course you know it seems clear that espn and turner are both interested in keeping their nba packages yeah my expectation is that espn and turner will continue uh probably uh they'll pay more money than they've been paying but they're not going to pay as much money as they would to maintain their current rights if that makes sense they'll be paying more money but it'll be for a smaller piece of the pie uh, and then the NBA, it'll be like what NASCAR and, and uh, NBC and, and Fox did. I'm pretty sure NBC and Fox are paying more, though. Now that I think about it, I have not actually, I'm not sure if that's true or not, but they obviously, they stayed on, less inventory, making room for Amazon and, and Turner to come in. I think that's what you'll see with the NBA. My expectation is that it'll probably have to be Amazon. Um, and I don't know if it'll be anybody else. Um, I, I, you know, NBC getting back in would be great, but I'm not sensing anything. I mean, you hardly hear NBC involved in the talks, you know, at the NBA all-star tech summit, I saw people, you know, from ESPN and Turner and Amazon and Google. I didn't see anyone from Comcast. Right. So, you know, I, I, I'm not sensing that there's going to be a return to the NBA and NBC. Um, I think it'll probably be ESPN, TNT, and Amazon. And, I mean, maybe Apple, maybe. I mean, Apple wasn't there at the NBA events either in, in Indianapolis. So maybe it'll be Google. Maybe it'll be YouTube TV taking over League Pass and the NBA's digital properties. What we know of the industry right now is that no one is getting the kind of money they wanted. I look at the college football playoff, you know, people talking about 2 billion a year, it's 1.3 billion a year and we don't even know that ESPN is going to keep their offer. So, um I I I don't know what we're going to see, but I think at the very least it'll be ESPN and TNT sticking around. My other expectation is that ESPN will continue to have the finals exclusively. Yeah, so that's where I was going to get at because the NBA obviously has this desire for a larger broadcast presence, which is tough with their two current partners because ESPN wants to keep a lot of inventory on cable. And, you know, obviously the finals will be on ABC, but they want to keep some of that premier inventory on cable. And then, of course, Turner doesn't have a broadcast component. So that is why NBC throughout all these discussions has been kind of a clear potential partner for, for the NBA. Depending on the term of these new agreements, whether it be five, seven, eight, ten years, the further we get down the line, the more important that broadcast component is going to be because as people continue to cut the cord, there's going to be a smaller and smaller audience left on those cable networks to the point where if you're TNT and it's 2029 and you're broadcasting the Eastern Conference Finals, I mean, how many people are actually going to have that available to them? Well, you got to keep in mind, there will be people who are able to stream TNT through whatever directed subscriber app, Max, maybe. Maybe it will be the ESPN Fox WBD service, if that survives. Um, you know, I, I think 
cable will not be as dead as we we're expecting in 2029 because but one thing that I'm noticing is that people are very nimble at continuing the same thing but repackaging it in a way that is different. And so cable will continue, but it won't be, you know, the, the idea that people will be tuning in on cable boxes that they got from Comcast as part of their two-year contract, that's going to end. It needed to end. But the idea that TNT is a 24-hour network available through some means will end. I don't necessarily know that that has to be the case. So I think, you know, TNT could keep hearing the Eastern Conference Final. I mean, 2029 is five years from now, right? I mean, that's pretty quick. Uh, and ultimately, you know, it took, what, 30 years from the start of cable to cable becoming a place where you could air big time, major network sporting events, like a conference final, like an LCS, took that 30 years. Well, where are we right now in the streaming landscape? 15 years? The other component of this, John, is the NBA seeking an increase. Uh, obviously, they've floated numbers out there. Speculation is they're not going to get, you know, three times, you know, the uh, the increase in rights. Maybe they'll get two times. Maybe it'll be less than that. But obviously, they want a substantial increase over their current deals. And the way that we've seen leagues like NASCAR go about that is by adding more broadcast partners. If we have ESPN and Turner both presumably slimming down their packages, they're still going to be paying more, but they're going to have less inventory. Of course, that makes room for a streamer like Amazon to come in and, and buy some of those games up. But is that going to be enough for what the NBA is seeking? Well, I don't know. I mean, it depends on also the number of years. If you spread that over a 12, 13, 14 year term seems kind of crazy, but the NFL deals are what, 11 years you put in a little out, you know, your option after year eight or year nine or whatever. Uh, and I mean, to me, I, I think with the right length of years, you could get to those kinds of numbers. Uh, enough partners in enough years, you can get to whatever kind of number you want. $5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back. If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code GAME to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, so I think, you know, my expectation is three partners right now with uh, ESPN, TNT, and Amazon. Um, I don't feel like, again, I just feel like uh, maybe Comcast is just a really quiet negotiator. You know, I don't know. I, I think you can't overlook Google being involved. Um, and uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I think more than anything, the NBA, uh, they've talked about wanting more games on broadcast TV, but I don't think they really care. They just want the most money. And what we're also seeing is that whole idea of let's put everything back on broadcast and we'll have a direct to subscriber option. You'll notice Amazon, or not Amazon, but uh, Diamond Sports is not dead. I think Diamond Sports dying was a big part of that because it wasn't going to be something the leagues were just going to do. It was going to be in the wake of Diamond Sports being wiped out and needing to figure out a new model for all of these uh, local uh, rights that they would pivot back to broadcast television. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they would have done that on a national level. But I think in order to have that big national push for more over-the-air exposure, that seems to me to have been something that would have needed to happen. It was all part of an overarching philosophy of how sports were going to be presented. So you take that underpinning out, I don't know that the rest of it stays up. You'll also notice that, I mean, we don't really know any details about this ESP and CFP deal, but I feel like if ABC was a part of it, we would have heard something. So where are the signs that anyone is looking around at broadcast television and, and, and really, you know, redoubling their efforts to have games there? Even with the NCAA deal uh, that ESPN did uh, for the various uh, uh, championships, you'll notice the only games that are guaranteed to air on ABC are the ones that are already airing there the women's basketball and, and, and gymnastics and FCS, they didn't add anything. They didn't say, okay, we'll put softball on there. You know, so I don't know. I, I don't see the broadcast TV thing panning out. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And, you know, it seems like a year ago when we were talking about this, that was the trend. That was, we're going to put way more inventory on broadcasts. It would be a larger reach, et cetera, et cetera. And now a year later, when we have all these potential streaming conglomerates coming at us, it's like 
okay, maybe these companies have found a way to keep the golden goose of the cable bundle alive, albeit in a slightly different way, or just give consumers a little bit more optionality while maintaining the uh, you know the profits from the cable bundle. Yeah, well, you know, thinking about ESPN keeping the NBA for another 10 years, I mean, that's inevitable, but man, what a shame. You know, I was thinking about it, and, you know, ESPN, they they cover the NBA. Well, people, there's a certain type of person, right, uh, who likes to talk about how ESPN shoves the NBA down everybody's throat. We all know this type of person. They're always talking about how they prefer college basketball and haven't watched the NBA since 1998. We all know this kind of person, or at least we've seen them on the internet. Uh, and uh, beyond anything else, what they miss about ESPN dubbing the NBA down everybody's throat is that ESPN is not a shill for the NBA. Now, that sounds crazy. How could you possibly say that ESPN is not a shill for the NBA? Because ESPN makes it a negative thing to follow the NBA. Everything ESPN covers in the NBA is some divisive debate nonsense. The job of ESPN is to make you feel like the greatest players in the NBA are all terrible, that they always have something to prove, that they're not good, that they're fat and lazy in the case of Zion with Stephen A. Uh, ESPN has spent 20 years on a daily basis disparaging the NBA, its players, and everything to do with the game, and you know, putting their particular negative grease all over this league. And so, no, they're not shields. You know who was a shill for the NBA? NBC. Shamelessly so at times. And, you know, I want to be clear about one thing. It's not good to be a shill in journalism. It's just not. But ESPN, don't make the mistake of thinking that ESPN not being a shill for the NBA means that they cover it dispassionately and objectively. They, they don't do that either. It's just that they are not making you feel good about the game. ESPN makes you feel bad about the game. NBC, again, shamelessly shilling for the NBA for 12 years. They made you feel good about the game and its players and the stars. And it's just not something ESPN is interested in doing. You know, I, I'd almost argue that networks shilling for leagues. I mean, you see this with the NFL all the time. It's incredibly difficult for any of these networks to... Um, cast any sort of negative light on the NFL. But we see how popular it is and how much people enjoy the product. When you heap praise onto a league like pretty much every single NFL partner does, it almost creates like a positive feedback loop where uh, viewers are assured they're getting the best possible product and then they get more excited and more bought in and they watch more. It's I think with the NBA, like you said, a lot of ESPN's coverage is very negative. It's very divisive, and honestly, it's it's pretty grating and tiring um, if you're a fan of basketball. And that probably creates some sort of negative feedback loop where people get disinterested in the league. You know, you came at my college basketball fandom there at the beginning, and. Uh, when you think about ESPN's college basketball coverage, a lot of that is very celebratory. They're pumping up, you know, conferences and and players. Maybe not so much players these days because uh, you know there's not really too many notable players in college basketball this year. But they're pumping up teams and coaches 
there's really not much negative coverage surrounding college basketball on ESPN unless you get something like, you know, the Wake Forest court storm that happened uh, yeah. this past weekend. Yeah, no, you make a great point. And, you know, there's not a lot of debate with college basketball, except, of course, we have seen it this past week with the court storming discussion. And it's Caitlin Clark, the GOAT, and all that stuff. You know, this kind of stuff, man, it's unfortunate because there used to be a time when First Take did terribly in the ratings, and now it does great. So, you don't, you know, I, I can't sit down here and say there's not a market for this stuff. Uh, certainly, I'm not part of that market, never will be. Uh, I, I find that whole first take undisputed. I mean, at least undisputed is doing horribly. 64,000 <laughs> viewers the other day. The Skip Bayless, one of the worst ever in this industry. And that, that could be one of the worst sports media contracts in history. Well, yeah, everybody at Fox deserves the embarrassment and humiliation of paying $8 million a year for Skip Bayless. What a disgrace. <laughs> Everyone involved in that decision, honestly, should not continue to be in the position to make decisions. Uh that's certainly million dollar decisions. Um, but, you know, to me, all that negativity, all that cable news stuff and trying to figure out who influenced it first. Was it ESPN influencing cable news or was ESPN influenced by it? And of course, your fandom's going to fall off. Of course, you're not going to be as big a fan. And you look at the things that people really like in sports. What are they like? They like Red Zone and they like the NCAA men's basketball tournament. And you know something about those two particular events? They are not events that ESPN is putting through their morning show machine. Now, yeah, ESPN debates the NFL all the time. And people tune in in big numbers, big, big numbers during the NFL season to watch what Stephen A. will say. But, you know, the, the negativity isn't there. You know, people like to watch sports where they feel like people enjoy the sport. Now, of course, how can I say all this stuff about negativity and be upset that they moved on from Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson, right? Because Jeff and Mark were always negative. But with Jeff and Mark, and particularly with Jeff, there's a big difference between Jeff complaining about real problems in the league, like officiating, and Stephen A. Smith fixing his mouth to say the things that he says about Zion Williamson, right? There's an enormous world of difference between those two things. And... um. I will take Jeff's negativity, which is just holding the league accountable for the subpar officiating that it puts out every night over Stephen A, you know, grinding his feet into Zion Williamson's couch, Rick James style every morning. And I just, you know, man, I miss David Stern. I miss David Stern. And David Stern was a lot of negative things, right? And David Stern sold the players out with with a moment's hesitation or without a moment's hesitation in the mid-2000s with that dress code nonsense. But I'll tell you something right now. David Stern turned to TNT and said, no, you're not putting Norman Shad on the air. And I like Norman Shad, but he said, no, you're not putting Norman Shad on our halftime show. He established control over what the NBA's product was going to be. Uh, all I can say is ESPN being the steward of the NBA is going to be the death of the NBA as a product people actually like. It will continue to be watched, of course, but that liking, the thing that is the difference between the NBA and the NFL and the NBA and the NCAA men's basketball tournament, where people like it and they're excited that it's back and they feel good about it and they want to tune in and they have traditions where they sit down and, oh, it's the first day of the tournament. All of that stuff, you can't 
be in league with ESPN and have that because they will suck the life out of the fan base with the stuff that they do. I think there's like something bigger at play here where if we're able to just kind of sit here on a podcast and determine there are certain sports properties where people have genuine enjoyment to get genuine enjoyment from watching. And then there are others where it is more anger inducing. That's a problem. Um, and the fact that there's really no rebuttal to what you just said about the NBA, you know, maybe if I followed a local team closely and I was watching the local broadcasts every single night, maybe then I'd get more of the celebratory and enjoyment factor out of an NBA team. But if you're someone that's just watching the national broadcasts, if you're watching the ESPN and the TNT games every week, you're not getting a lot of that, even inside the NBA, which everyone acknowledges is the best studio show in sports. It's not like they're overwhelmingly positive about the league, right? A lot of what people enjoy about that show is they're willing to call out the shortcomings of the league and the shortcomings of certain players and teams uh, in a very authentic way. But the NBA is missing a piece of the puzzle here, and and that is any sort of positive sentiment that is coming out of the media. The vibes around the NBA have been bad for years. That's just a reality. The vibes surrounding the NBA have been bad really since LeBron went to L.A. Uh, I don't know wh- where you pinpoint it. Do you, do you start with the, the China thing? I put all of that on Adam Silver, by the way. Complete unawareness of the shifting geopolitical landscape. Everyone rips LeBron for what he said. Everyone forgets LeBron was in China, right? So all that stuff with Daryl Morey was going on while NBA teams were in China. Why, what, what in the world is going on here? Why were they there in the first place? If the situation was so volatile that one tweet by Daryl Morey could result in that response, then you don't really have a partnership, do you? All right, so I put all that on Adam Silver. Maybe that's where it started. There's just something about the NBA where it just seems negative and contested and angry all the time. And I think that's from your lead broadcast partner. I think that's all ESPN knows how to do. I think it's a combination of all these things, John. And you know, on top of it, you have, you know, fans that maybe rightfully, you know, feel the players are entitled when it comes to like load management. It's like, why are these players complaining when they're making millions of dollars? I don't have much sympathy for for that. Or it's, you know, I watch these games and they're scoring so many points, you know, rightly or wrongly, maybe they're thinking they're not putting the effort in on defense, which I don't think is true. I think it's that's more of a function of the rule changes in the league. But um, and then you have all the off court stuff that you just mentioned and, you know, the way the media covers the league. I think it's all of this has just created some, you know, very, as you know, we've said negative vibes around the league. And that's it's hard. To, I don't think there is a pinpoint moment. It, it, and it, but it's hard to come back from that, and that's yeah. that's the real crux of the issue is that it's going to take, you know, a village to really start turning and shifting the sentiment around the league back to one that is more positive and and celebratory. It's going to take somebody involved in the marketing that actually even sees that this is a problem, which I don't think the NBA has. 
you know, Adam Silver is a very interesting commissioner because to me, I don't know that he knows that there's any problems, right? I mean, I don't, I don't know that. Like it, it it's, I think he, he projects and, you know, I've now having gone to all-star weekend and attended his press conference, I've now been in the room and Adam Silver is doing a press conference, right? He projects confidence. It's hard to sit down. You're listening to Adam Silver and not think, okay, this guy is the right captain of the ship. But then you kind of just look around and like, I don't know. I mean, I give him credit for the in-season tournament. That did work out, you know, but uh, I, I don't know that there's a great sense of strategy for how to deal with the NBA's perception problem. You're never going to win over people who don't like black people. You're never going to win them over. That's been a problem the league's had forever, right? You're never going to win those guys over. But if that was the NBA's only problem, the, you know, it feels like there's something deeper about just the, I, I hesitated to use a rut before, but I do feel like the league is in a rut. Yeah. And the interesting part, too, is when you compare the NBA to its closest counterparts in MLB and, and the NHL, this doesn't seem to be as much of an issue with the other two leagues. And I would attribute that to, you know, maybe those leagues are becoming more niche sports than the NBA. The NBA still has a large casual fan base where they'll tune into regular season games and keep up with player transactions and news and things of that nature. Whereas baseball and hockey, really not too many people pay attention to those sports unless they're a big fan of the sport. Um, so that basketball is in this weird spot where they still have to attract casuals and, and really market towards that, that group of people. And, and the other sports I think have, I should say the other leagues have really been able to take more of a celebratory and positive tone because they know their fans are, are fans for life. They, these are fans that are actively seeking out the product. Um, and honestly, the, those leagues, as much as they'd probably love to have the casual fan base that the NBA does, doesn't really have to cater to them as much because they're, they're not really there. Well, one, I would say baseball's vibes aren't aren't good. I don't think baseball's got good vibes. You know? Really? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I mean, baseball, the, the discussion about baseball is always very negative. Uh, people don't like Rob Manfred. They can't stand Rob Manfred. Uh, they're upset about the uniforms. It's a big joke, but people are really upset about the uniforms. I, I think I think there's been game. a I think there's been a turnaround in baseball in the past few years, though, and especially last year with the rule changes that have started to speed up the sport. Everyone I talk to within baseball is really happy with the direction the league is going. Um, you know, maybe five years ago we could describe the MLB in a similar position to where the NBA is now, but um, I think now the the sentiment is shifting in the MLB. Oh well, we'll see. I mean, I, I do think the NHL's got great vibes going. I think for the I mean, you know, the NHL it feels like things people are generally feeling good about where the league is. I think you're starting to see the vibes turn in NASCAR a little bit, you know, as well, which is a sport that's been kind of in a rut for a long, long time. And you saw with really the Chicago race onward, people are feeling good about NASCAR, probably even going back to the first clash at the Coliseum. 
you know, and so how did, and, and, you know, NASCAR and the NHL, they've been in ruts for a long, long time, a lot longer than the NBA has been. And, you know, to me, you know, how did they get out of it? Well, for the NBA, unfortunately, uh, and I feel bad saying this because I don't feel like it's fair to him, but I think a lot of it's going to be LeBron leaving the league. Uh, there's LeBron derangement syndrome, man. People are deranged by this dude. They've been deranged by him since he was at St. Vincent St. Mary's and was riding, driving around in a Hummer. Uh, people hate this man. It's the most ridiculous thing in the world, how much they hate him. Uh, and I think LeBron leaving is going to be probably uh, an important thing for the vibes to clear up because then kind of all the crazies and like 98% of the negativity surrounding the NBA is at least in some relation to LeBron James, uh, whether it's trashing him or talking about something he's talking about. I mean, even the politics, obviously, he took the lead on that. Uh, you know, LeBron leaving is going to be a, a big, he's going to take a lot of fans with him, but he's going to take a lot of the haters with him too. And I think that will, by, by default, clear up some of the vibes, uh, especially if Steph is still around for a few years after. Yeah, I, I think what you're describing is a bit of a like a hard reset for the league. Once, yes. yeah, once LeBron's out of there, it is a totally new landscape for the NBA to navigate. So that's a good point. It's totally uh, unfair to him, by the way. It, it really is a sad, sad state of affairs that that has to be the case. But I think that is ultimately the hard reset. You make a great point. You know, I mean, when. When Jordan left, this is right. Definitely just remind me of the last few years of Jordan. Not quite the same because LeBron isn't as popular as Jordan. The league isn't as popular. But toward the end, Michael was kind of papering over a lot of things. Like the the, the vibes in the NBA were pretty bad toward the end of the Jordan era. Uh, Sprewell choking his coach, uh, Garnett's contract that ticked off a lot of people. You know the lockout, obviously, that followed that. You know, toward the end, the vibes were starting to get pretty bad, but Michael was still there. So you still had, I would say, the 97-98 season perception-wise for the NBA, not that different from what we would see in the mid-2000s. But Jordan was still there, so the ratings were great, right? You know, and, and what the league needed was, as you said, a hard reset. And they didn't get it until, I would say, 2009 when LeBron entered his prime. That was the hard reset point of where, okay, wait a second. We've got this new thing, this new exciting thing. Maybe for the NBA, it'll be Wembenyama. Who knows? Well, we'll see if this type of trend is cyclical, and um, you know, if LeBron leaves the league in a year or two years, um, if the NBA will kind of be able to breathe in a, a breath of fresh air. The hard reset you're describing really does sound like a great idea, right? You know, to just start over, we've, we, this is, I'm trying to think of a TV show parallel, but sometimes on a show, you just get to a point, it's kind of like if you've ever seen the, the, the red letter media half in the bag, they'll start down a storyline and then realize this storyline isn't working. Uh, for the NBA, this storyline worked for a long time. It worked from, I would say, 2009 to 2018. And Ultimately, it still works because LeBron is still a great draw, and so is Steph Curry and all these guys. But a version of the NBA that is truly reset in terms of new stars, new media would be really nice, wouldn't it? Um, you know, but look, um, for the NBA, I definitely think 
new blood across the board is needed. I think they a new generation of stars, new teams, uh, new media coverage. We probably aren't going to get in this next deal, but new media coverage. It just they got to start fresh. The reality is, you know, um, the NBA that I grew up loving was obviously when you're a kid, it's different. It's the '90s as well. Jordan, Hakeem, Reggie, all these guys, but. I, I think the coverage was a huge part of it. And we talk about the round ball rock or whatever, but when it comes down to it, NBC was a true steward of the game. NBC didn't just use the NBA to boost NBC's personalities and make them famous. NBC was a shill. And you know what? When you're paying X amount of millions of dollars for the rights, it's okay to be a shill. I mean, granted, you know, you don't necessarily want to be too shameless about it, but that's the point of the relationship. And ESPN keeps paying for the rights. And I'll tell you, like I said, I think ESPN, I would put the, the, the negative vibes surrounding the, the negative vibes surrounding the NBA are almost entirely the making of ESPN. And they have been a wretched steward of this game. Wretched. All right. People don't use the word wretched very often. They have been a wretched steward of the NBA. All right, John, great conversation about the association today. I'm pretty sure it was Kevin Frazier on ESPN who coined the expression, the association. That's the oh. first time I ever heard it was Kevin Frazier. <laughs> so see, I, 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 I give a little criticism and I give very faint, meaningless praise of something that happened more than 20 years ago. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week. Not a lot of sports media talk. So we kind of went long on the NBA. Hope you don't mind. We'll be back next week with more. Well, you know what? I don't know if we'll be back next week. We're going to play it by ear. And if there's a reason to do a show next week, we'll do one. If there isn't, we just won't. But we'll see you whenever we see you. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.